This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 624. One thing that makes people feel confident and comfortable choosing you as their realtor is when you also own real estate, especially if you own several properties. Now you can sell someone who's a little hesitant on buying a house with house hacking, but you can sell it even better if you do it yourself. You can help investors with buying homes, but if you own rental property yourself, you're much more likely to do so. When I'm looking to buy in different markets, the first thing I want is a realtor who owns these assets themselves and has connections in the space that I'm going to need. What's going on, everyone? My name is David Green, and I'm your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast here today with a seeing green edition, as you can tell from the green light behind my head, if you are following us on YouTube. If you are not following us on YouTube, you probably didn't just see the hand gestures that I made when I said show 624. And I would advise you to go check it out when you have some time because shows are more fun when you can see the person who's talking to you. In today's show, we are going to get into questions from the Bigger Pockets community. What that means is you, the people listening to this podcast, the people on the website, the people who will be attending BPCon, the people who love real estate investing just as much as I do, get to ask your specific questions about what to do in your specific scenarios, as well as overall general questions to help you wade through the hurdles that you're facing making progress building wealth. I love doing these. I love being able to help you. And I love you guys for submitting questions. So if you would like to be featured on the show, just go to biggerpockets.com slash David and submit your question there. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. 
effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. In today's show, we get into some really fun stuff. In fact, some of it I've never answered before. We talk about how to help your parents with retirement using real estate investing. We get into what to consider as an investor if you're in a different country. That's real long-distance investing. And we talk about how to rinse and repeat without putting 20% down on every single deal. We also get into if an ADU should be built, how the ADU should be built, and how to structure which moves to make and which orders to make them for several different callers. Today's quick tip. Check out the Bigger Pockets on the Market podcast. We at Bigger Pockets have brought to you a new podcast where we talk about what's going on in the market and how you can be prepared to make the best choices for your financial future by being educated. All right, let's bring in our first question. Hi, David. My name is Arturo. I am originally from Mexico, but I've been living here in Denver, Colorado for the last seven years. My background is in architecture, and I just recently made the switch to real estate development. I have no deals yet, but I'm eager to take action on this 2022 and get the first one going. My question to you is, for my first deal, should I leverage my knowledge and experience in architecture, project management, and real estate development and do a more complex, higher risk uh, deal like a subdivision or a ground up development? Or should I take a more quote unquote conservative approach and try one of the more common paths like a wholesaling or uh, fix and flip or house hacking. Um, I do know that uh, you guys often recommend just get the first deal going, get some momentum. Uh, But I also feel like I have a unique set of abilities and knowledge that I can leverage to my favor and and do a more successful deal. Let me know your thoughts. Thanks. Hey there, Arturo. Thank you for the question. That was very well articulated. What I hear you saying is that, hey, I understand that the majority of newbies are recommended to get into something that's a little more low risk with less moving pieces, something like house hacking, uh, low down payment options. But I have a skill set other people don't have. You understand architecture, engineering, you're a builder. And I think this is a really interesting question. I'm glad you asked it because we can kind of get into some stuff here. What I would recommend about this is that you can take on projects that use your skill set more than an average newbie. So a newbie is just somebody who hasn't done something yet. They don't have experience, so they don't know what they're doing. It's not like because you're new, you can't do what experienced people do. If you have the experience of what they have, you obviously can. Now, with building, you do have that experience. So I think you can take on a project that would need a bigger rehab. If I was you, I'd be looking in more expensive areas for houses that have problems, stuff that has foundational issues, roof problems, functional obsolescence, the floor plan is terrible. Something where this house is not very demanded by the rest of your competition and they're not looking for it. Something that would require more work. 
But I don't want you to fall into the trap of thinking that because you understand building, that you can make the numbers work on a property. Those are different skill sets. They're not the same thing. You still need to be keeping it easy when it comes to finding something that's going to cash flow, that's not going to require a ton of money being dumped into the property that's going to make you go broke. So my advice would be you find a more simple asset class. A small multifamily would probably be the best way to start or a house hack. Within that asset class that's simple, look for a more complicated opportunity, something that needs more work that other people wouldn't be able to handle, something where your expertise can save you a lot of money, where maybe somebody else would have to hire an engineer to fix the problem. You can do it yourself. I think that'd be the best way to combine both elements that um, uh, your strength, which your weakness, which is uh, inexperience. You're in a really good spot. I really hope to see you do well, continue working and making money and putting that into real estate. Let me know how it turns out. All right, our next question comes from Justin Tomlinson in Trumbull, Connecticut. How can I dominate a market as a brand new real estate agent who is also brand new to the area and does not have the advantage over other agents, as you said in the video, with owning properties or other investments? Where is the best place to start to gain the knowledge and market mastery to dominate my market? All right, Justin, the first thing I would say is if you want to dominate a market, what you're really saying is I want to help more people than my competition. You want to work with a lot of buyers and sellers. So I wouldn't look at it like, how do I go dominate this market? Because you're not really competing with other agents. This is a common misnomer amongst real estate agents. In their head, they think that they're competing against the other agents in their office to get the client. But the reality is very few people ever talk to several realtors. Most people find one realtor that makes them comfortable and they roll with that person and they hope it works out. So you're not competing with the other agents in your office because you're not lining up for interviews with the same clients that those agents are going after. There's nobody stopping you from selling more houses other than you. So the question isn't how do I dominate my market or how do I beat my competition? You don't have competition. The question is how do I make myself someone that buyers and sellers feel comfortable with? And this is something that I've had to learn. If I get out there and I get the word out that I'm a realtor and I make people feel comfortable with me, they'll use me. But if I start focusing on other things like the one brokerage or my own investment opportunities or a new book I'm writing and I stop talking about what I do, people don't know who I am. They use other realtors. The fallacy is we expect our phone to ring and people to come to us. And that's not how this business works. You got to get out there and you got to go to them. One thing that makes people feel confident and comfortable choosing you as their realtor is when you also own real estate, especially if you own several properties. Now you can sell someone who's a little hesitant on buying a house with house hacking, but you can sell it even better if you do it yourself. You can help investors with buying homes, but if you own rental property yourself, you're much more likely to do so. When I'm looking to buy in different markets, the first thing I want is a realtor who owns these assets themselves and has connections in the space that I'm going to need. If I'm looking for short-term rentals in Arizona with a realtor and they don't own any, who's going to answer my questions? It's tough. Now, if I'm working with an agent that owns some of these asset classes themselves or has helped so many other investors with that asset class that they already have answers to the questions I may have, that makes me feel comfortable. So start by thinking about with a client, what do they want to see? A lot of realtors will say, what car should I drive? How should I dress? The question is, well, what's going to make your clients feel comfortable? If you're dressed super nice in a really expensive car, but you're selling houses to blue collar people, that might make them feel uncomfortable. And likewise, if you're working with high level executives in Manhattan, but you're rolling around in a Toyota Corolla and jeans and flip flops looking like Brandon Turner, that might make them feel uncomfortable. 
So the question that every realtor needs to ask themselves is how do I make myself come across what a client is looking for in a real estate agent? I would definitely get my newest book at Bigger Pockets, and I had no idea that this question was going to be asked, so this wasn't intentionally meant to plug it. You can find it at biggerpockets.com slash skill. Skill is a book that is the sequel to Sold that teaches people how to become a top producing real estate agent. And one of the first chapters in that book is all about top producer characteristics. They are the qualities that every single top producing agent has. And if you find those and you emulate those, you will appear to the public as a top producer and they'll be much more likely to pick you as their realtor. Once you've got that down, it just becomes a game of evangelism. Get out there and tell every single person what you do and that you want to help them. Hi, David. I'm Roy Gottesdiener from Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, first, just wanted to give you a fun fact. So there's a huge community of real estate investors in Israel, and we all follow Bigger Pockets, you know, the podcasts, uh, the forums, and the names uh, David Green and Brendan Turner are household names in Israel. So I thought you guys might like to know that, that you're famous um, halfway around the globe. Now, a bit about me. I started investing a bit over two years ago in two markets, so in Ohio and in North Carolina. Right now, I own eight uh, rental units, single-family properties, doing Burr. Um, got another 200 contracts, so hopefully by the time this goes live, uh, the number goes up to 10. Now, my question has two parts. First one is, as a foreign investor, I'm limited in the financing I have access to. So I'm capped at 65% LTV with interest rates slightly higher than a U.S. borrower. So question is, how would you recommend scaling and growing my portfolio um, quick uh, if you know that I'm limited in the financing I can get? Meaning it's not 75 or 80, but 60 to 65. Now, second question is, as I'm growing my portfolio, uh, I realize that I'm getting more debt and I'm more uh, exposed to the, the risk of not being able to handle my payments. So I was wondering if you have any kind of rule of thumb or benchmark regarding how much money you should have in reserve so that if one, two or three of your tenants don't pay the rent on time, you're not at risk of defaulting on your uh, payments. So thanks again. Really appreciate uh, everything you're doing. Um, yeah, And I would be willing to come and be a guest at the live show. I would love to. Thank you. All right, Roy. Well, thank you so much. I had no idea that I was known in Israel or that Bigger Pockets had a following in Tel Aviv. That is very cool. So thank you for letting us know. You brought us some really good points that I think applied to a lot of different people. The first was, how do I keep buying properties? Now, I can tell from the questions you're asking, Roy, that you got the bug. You're falling in love with real estate. You're thinking really big plans. You're like, I want to own every single house in the world. And I remember being in that exact same place myself where I, when my, uh, the man who owns the Keller Williams that I came to work at sat down with me and we went over what drives me. He's like, oh, you just want to buy everything in the country. He was like, yeah, I just want to own all of it. That has since changed, but I recognize those same drives in you. When it comes for a foreign investor buying properties, you gave some really good information and you hit the nail on the head. The biggest hindrance is that there's higher down payment requirements, often 35%. Now, most of those loans are done on a debt serverage basis. So 
Now, most of those loans are done on a debt service basis. So what that means is they're going to look at what the property makes for income and qualify you based on that, but your rate's going to be higher. Today's rates are probably in the 8% to 8.5% range, and you can't buy a primary residence. You're only able to buy rental property. You should also note that the information... You should also note that the monies that are going to be used for the transactions have to be kept either in an American bank or a bank that's approved by lenders as an American-approved bank overseas. But your biggest hurdle is going to be how much money you have to put down on the house compared to the average investor. If your competition can put down 20%, you got to put down 35%. you are going to scale slower. So here's a few things that you can do to make sure you always have capital. One, I have a different approach. I know this is a real estate investing podcast, but I will still say for the majority of investors, I am a fan of them continuing to work and actually focus on how to make more money, how to grow a business, how to work better within the business, how to get into a sales position or a commission-based system. Do something to put more pressure on yourself to earn more money to invest in real estate. Don't always look to real estate to replace the way that you're making your money. Number two, Can you flip a couple properties and use that money to fund the down payment of other properties? Maybe not everything has to be a rental. The reality is most of us that are doing business like you, Roy, where we're scaling fast, some of them are going to be great and some of them aren't going to be so great. And it's okay that not every deal is a winner. But if you do well and you you hit value add opportunities and you're buying in the right areas, you're going to gain equity and it's okay to sell the ones that aren't performing well but have equity and use that money to fund future deals. So maybe you need to work out a system where for every two rentals you buy, you flip a house. Or maybe every three rentals you buy, you flip one property. Or you do something else to make sure income is coming in so you can keep buying. The last question you asked is another problem that we have when we get crazy and we get the bug and we look to buy every property we can. The question starts to arise, what am I gonna do if I can't make this payment? Now, this is especially tricky in the market we're in right now because none of us know if it's going to continue to run up or if it's going to stall or if it's going to go down. And if it does go down, how long before it goes back up? There's a lot of uncertainty in the market that we're living in. So again, my advice to you is going to be keep more money in the bank. Now, many people will say, put a bigger down payment on the house to decrease your risk. I just don't think that's sound advice. If you put down 50% instead of 35%, it's not going to affect your payment that much. If you don't have a tenant in there, the difference in your payment between 35 and 50% isn't going to matter if you're getting no rent. And real estate tends to work where either you're getting your rent or you're getting no rent. It's not like tenants are saying, hey, I'm going to pay you 65% of what I owe you to where you can try to match that up with what your down payment is going to be. You're better off, in my opinion, having that money in the bank in reserves that you can use it to make a mortgage, to fix up a house, to pay for an eviction. All the things that you need to run your business require liquid capital. So I'd rather that you have a little bit higher of a loan balance, but more money in reserves to make the payments on it, than you throw that money into the house as equity. And when the market crashes, there's nothing you can do to stop that equity from leaving. If the market crashes while you have money in the bank, you can either buy more property or you can weather the storm. So my advice to you to sum that up would be to keep working and keep setting money aside and only scale in proportion to what you can handle if we do have a correction. Thank you very much for the question, Roy. I love hearing about the influence that we're having at Bigger Pockets in Israel, and I hope we hear from you again. All right, we've had some great questions so far, and I want to thank everybody for submitting them. I also want to ask you to make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe on the Bigger Pockets YouTube channel. Let us know what do you like about these shows? What questions do you wish that we would ask? Do you think I should have got into it longer and given a more in depth example? Or do you think that I hit it just right? 
What do you think about the level of analogies that I'm giving on a show? Do you want to hear more of them or less? Let us know in the comments what you like about our show. In this segment of the Seeing Green podcast, we get into comments that other listeners have left in past shows, and sometimes they're fun, sometimes they make you think, and sometimes they make me cry. The first comes from Dan Mercia. Love the show. It has opened my eyes to a whole new mindset for my future and goals. My question is one that I haven't heard yet. Everyone talks about having 5, 10, 15 properties. How many mortgages can one have? And how does one own more than two? Well, Dan, first off, this would be great to go to biggerpockets.com slash David and submit as a question there for me to answer in full. But I'll give you the short answer is there is no limit to how many mortgages you can have. There is no law on the books in our country that says you can only have so many mortgage, at least not that I'm aware of. There are limits to how many Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac mortgages that you can get because those are insured by the federal government and they tend to limit it to 10. Now, after four, it becomes much harder to get the loans, but after 10, you can't get any more. So once you get 10 Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans, that's where you have to switch and start looking at credit unions, portfolio loans, debt service loans, what we call non-qualified mortgages. Now, that doesn't have to be bad. My company, The One Brokers, does non-QM loans all the time, but they're still 30-year fixed rate uh, safe loans. It just means that they're not conventional mortgages. So don't despair. You can keep getting mortgages forever as long as you can get qualified for them, but they won't have the same terms as the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loans we all love. The next comes from Five Deadly Venoms. That's the screen name. Hey, David, thanks for making time to share all your knowledge. I'm definitely going to have to replay the return on equity versus return on investment part a few times. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. That is a complicated topic, but it's still worth knowing. I'd love it if you could expand on that with an example. Clearly, it would be important to know when to sell. If it's in a book, blog, or other video, please share, and I'll learn from whatever resource you have. Thanks again. Love your videos. All right. Thank you, Five Deadly Venoms. In long-distance investing, I do give examples of what it's like to sell in one market and then go buy in another, taking the return on equity that may be low in a property you have in one market versus a higher return on investment you can get in another. I'll give you an example of myself. I recently sold 25 properties in Northern Florida that had a lot of equity but weren't cash flowing as good as I wanted. I'm taking that money and I'm putting it into more properties that I'm hoping will cash flow more. If I looked at the equity that I had in my Florida portfolio, the return, the, meaning the cash flow I was making was very small compared to the equity that I had. As I go reinvest that money, I'm thinking I can get a higher in return on investment ROI on the new properties I'm buying, as well as taking on more debt, which to many people is bad, but for someone like me that believes inflation is going to continue to occur is good. And I'm also going to buy in markets that I think are going to grow faster than the market that I left. So if I do this right, these new set of properties I buy will continue to improve in value while giving me more cash flow than I was getting. And at a certain point, their equity will be greater than the return that they're giving me in cash flow. I will then sell those properties and do the same thing again years into the future. Our next comment comes from Alexis King. Hi, David. I enjoy the longer answers from you. You have so much to share, and I like the way you explain things. I bought four properties last year, and I'm looking to expand this year. Love the t-shirt since we are in a be comfy at work world now. Also, I already booked my 
ticket, flight, and room for BPCon. Well, Alexis, you sound like a bigger pockets die hard, and I am going to be excited to see you at BPCon. Anybody else, if you want to check out BPCon, it's in San Diego this year. You can go to biggerpockets.com slash events and get your ticket there. In my experience, they do sell out. So if you're thinking about it, you should go grab it now while you can, and maybe you'll run into Alexis. Alexis, thank you for letting me know. I've been sticking with the t-shirt vibe. It sounds like more people are liking that look than the more fancy buttoned up look, and I appreciate that. Also, thank you for letting me know you like the longer answers. If anyone disagrees with Alexis, let us know in the comments that you want a more concise answer or a shorter show. Our last comment comes from Angelo. Hey, David, great answers. Can you please take a second to review the question somehow? When you fire off answers, you miss things. Green Bay, Wisconsin was the market the duplex was in. The tech industry is the industry the high-paying W-2 is in. Thanks. Angelo, you are likely a high C on the disc profile, and you're looking at the details. Yes, it is probably entirely possible that I said the wrong name of a city when it was Green Bay, and I might have said something else. I try very hard to articulate where I got my thought process from and why I'm giving the answer, so that if I get a detail wrong, like I say triplex instead of duplex or Green Bay instead of Tampa Bay... People can still understand the logic and the uh, principles behind the advice that I'm giving. And I also do try to review the questions where I restate what the person asked. I can definitely keep doing that and try to do better. Thank you for that feedback. All right. Are these questions resonating with you? Do you like this feedback? Are you liking these Seeing Green episodes? Let us know in the comments on YouTube so we know what type of information we should give you. And I want to hear from you. Please go to biggerpockets.com slash David and submit more questions for me to answer on these shows. What's up, David Green and the David Green team? Uh, my name is Andrew Terry. First of all, I want to say thank you for Bigger Pockets, David Green. Rob, very good addition. I'm really loving what you guys are putting together. The new content is excellent. Um, I have been listening to Bigger Pockets since kind of the beginning of the pandemic. So quick about me. Uh, my wife and I have a travel company that we ran for about 10 years, uh, which led us to buy this duplex, which I'm standing in front of, which we house hack this side right here. We rent out that side right there. Um, bought it in 2017. We do trips to Cuba or we're doing trips to Cuba. Uh, pandemic happened, lost the travel company completely. And I was like, shoot, what do I do? So I started kind of listening to bigger pockets getting all this in, uh listening to watching rob built also um on youtube getting all these this different in, like information and inspiration and all this kind of stuff so thank you guys very much you helped me through a very difficult time my wife was pregnant during the pandemic we have a, a year and a half year old baby now who's lovely but dad i didn't have a job mama didn't have a job that stuff was rough dude so i pivoted i got myself a real estate license real estate was kind of the only thing that was working while travel was not working and continues to be really slow um, so I got a real estate license, which is great. I'm here. So I'm going to give you my breakdown. We bought a duplex ready. This is the question. Bought a duplex in 2017. We house hack this side. We were, we back behind that building right there. There's a freestanding garage. We have a permit to make an ADU, uh, from the city of Los Angeles. They approved us and all that kind of stuff. It was a long and kind of expensive process when I thought it was going to be cheap. Um, so we're able to do this ADU. This is the issue. We have equity in the house. Uh, that we cannot unlock, so we cannot get to a HELOC. I don't wanna do a cash out refi because we just did, I'm gonna go in the shade while I do this, because we just did um, a, a regular refinance. So I don't really wanna do a cash out refi. We have a bunch of, of equity in the house. They will not allow us to do a HELOC because our travel company did so poorly in 2020 that our taxes reflect that. So I don't know how to get, the other part of it is, so we want to build the ADU to then rent it. 
we would like to rent our side that we're now currently living in that we would that we're house hacking rent the ADU side so turn this duplex into a triplex move to a single family home here in LA where we live in Highland Park um, we have so a there's that the ADU question how do I like how do I get a HELOC? Do I just get a traditional loan to build it? We've had a couple of people that have uh, said about forty to sixty thousand dollars because it's just a uh, a conversion, not a full build. Um, part two of the question: so an SBA loan for our small business, the travel company, uh, is coming through to the tune of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is amazing. We don't. We don't have to pay the loan back for three to four years. Uh, the interest rate on it is super, super low. It's uh, pandemic rate low, so it's like around two and a half percent on it. Um, where do what, what do what do I do? I can't really HELOC the house, or can I? Do I wait for this SBA money to do potentially that? Do we buy a single family home here in Los Angeles, or do I? take that money. I've been looking into Tucson, Arizona. Do I take that money, invest in Tucson, Arizona, use the cash flow to kind of help us rent something here and keep and rent this out as a triplex? I know it's a big, big old question, but dude, you guys are the best. Thank you very much. I was listening to the podcast yesterday and I heard that uh, you're taking questions. So let's see if, uh, how's it going, man? Let's see if you guys can help me with my, uh, with my query. Thank you very much. Have a good day. I appreciate what you guys do. Bye. Boy, Andrew, you have a lot going on in that mind of yours between those two ears, and I love it, man. These are all really good questions. When I'm listening to you talk, I sort of see a vision in my head of like uh, your plan is not assembled. You're still in the brainstorm phase. You're going through all of these possibilities, and while I'm glad you submitted this question and I want you to keep doing so, I also just want to kind of clarify, I can't give you quick, concise, direct answers when the plan is still being formed. So what I can do is maybe try to give you some advice on how to form that plan and what some options could be. And then later, if you get a little bit closer and you submit the same question again with some more detail and some more structure, then I can give you the specifics of what you're looking to do. So you mentioned that you're locked on a HELOC, which pardon the pun there, you're not able to get one, but I don't think you said why. So the first question I would ask is what's stopping you from getting the HELOC? The next thing I would say is if you can't get a HELOC, can you do a cash out refinance? There's different ways to get it capital. Now, something you mentioned about the ADU only being 40,000, 60,000. I really like that, especially if you're in Highland Park, Los Angeles. I have a real estate team there. We can help you get your next home, and we can also help with this ADU that you're trying to build. Forty to $60,000 is a really, really good return on your money, and you mentioned it's because you're not building an ADU from the ground up. You're just doing an extension, and that's worth noting for all the listeners. If there's ever an opportunity where you can extend onto a building you already have, not create an entirely new structure, it is much more cost-efficient and therefore gives you a much higher ROI on the money that you're putting in. So I think this ADU needs to happen. You got to find some way to do it. If you don't have the cash in the bank, a good option would be a cash-out refinance on your house. If you like your interest rate and you don't want the rate to go up, because that's likely why you didn't propose that in the first place, a HELOC would be a really good idea. Now, you mentioned the SBA loan, and I'm not an expert in SBA loans, and I'm not giving legal advice, so I need to clarify that. But I wonder if you're allowed to use that money for the ADU. Is the SBA loan related to your travel business, or is it related to your rental property business? Because if you're moving out of this house, at some point, that may qualify as a rental property that is a business that might be something you could use the SBA loan for. I would definitely check with the person who's helping broker this loan for you to find out if that's the case. Now, if you can't use the SBA money for that, 
but you're saying that you can use it to go buy something in Arizona. I would wonder, is it because it's your primary residence that means you can't use that money? If you moved out, bought the single family that you wanted to move into, and then use the SBA money to put in the ADU because it's a rental, that could be an option for you. It sounds like you got money coming in from all kinds of different places. So what we have to figure out is how are you legally allowed to use the money that you've already got? Another thing I would say is you don't have to look at it like, can I take this money and buy a place in Arizona and use the cash flow to help supplement my mortgage on my home? It gets tricky when you start looking at, I use this house to pay for that one and I sold this one to buy this one. At a certain point, you just have to understand, I have debt, I have income, I'm trying to decrease the, the debt or the money I owe and I'm trying to increase the income I make and they're not always tied to a bunch of other properties. I think people can make this more confusing than it needs to be when they start looking at linking the chains together. Now, for years, Brandon Turner and I would describe real estate this way because it makes sense for a brand new investor who doesn't have anything to connect the dots. Oh, if I buy this house, it can pay for that. If I get that, I can go get this. And it would get them moving in a direction. But once you get a couple properties, you kind of have to let go of that way of looking at things. When you said investing in another state, because Los Angeles is insane right now, I want to push back a little bit there too. You mentioned investing in Arizona. If you go to Arizona, they're all saying it's insane right now. If you go to any of the states that you would think, oh, I'll go there because California is too hot. Prices proportionally could be even hotter in some of these out-of-state markets than what you're getting in Los Angeles. They just seem cheaper to us Californians because we're used to prices that are so high. So don't assume that you're going to go to another market like when I first wrote Long Distance Investing and get a much better return. When I wrote that book, it was a competitive advantage I had to be able to buy in other markets where other investors weren't. Based on that book, this podcast, and the popularity of real estate investing in general, the days of that being a competitive advantage are kind of gone. Everybody now is looking to do the exact same thing you are, and you're going to be jumping into a market that's just as hot or hotter than the one you're in. So I like investing in the market that you're in because you can use small down payment loans to give yourself the advantage. If you can go buy another place to house hack, put 5% down, and use some of that money from the $250,000 SBA loan, you're good. If you can use the SBA loan to fund other parts of your life or business and therefore free up cash flow from your personal self to put into real estate, you're good. Sometimes the money has requirements on how it can be used, but if it doesn't, I definitely wouldn't worry about where it's coming from. It's just money. Now, if the SBA loan comes with an interest rate, you need to be very careful that whatever you go use that money for will make you more money than what it's costing to borrow the money in the first place. Generally speaking, I love your energy. I love where your thoughts are. I love what you're thinking about. Spend a little bit more time getting some clarity on what you're willing to do. If you want to turn your current property into a house hack and then move into a new property, that would be the first plan we should come up with. And then we should start talking about if you want to invest out of state. But if you get clarity on the big things, the small things tend to fall into place. And I'd love to hear from you again. Also, Andrew, super grateful that you're willing to help plan a trip for my company to go to Cabo. I went there last year and absolutely loved it. I tried to record a podcast with bigger pockets and the internet was really bad. It was uh, notorious. It was with Scott and Mindy. And um, I remember like whales spouting in the background behind me, but you couldn't even see it because the internet was going in and out. I, I loved that trip other than the one internet thing. So I'd love to take you up on that. If you'd like to send me a DM on Facebook Messenger or on Instagram, I'll do my best to find it and I'd love your help. Thank you very much and we'll hear from you soon. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. All of us wish we had more time in the day, but if time was unlimited, what would you spend it doing? Having trouble? Therapy can help. 
With therapy, you can find what matters most to you and do more of it. Therapy can help you discover what you really want out of life and what your true priorities are. It's more than just talking about trauma or tough times. It can help empower you to accomplish more with less stress and more clarity. The best place to try therapy? BetterHelp. BetterHelp is entirely online. That means it fits your schedule and flexibility, and you don't have to drive through traffic to see your therapist. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with the licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com BP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot BP. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. All right, our next question comes from Nick E. in Indianapolis. What are the best ways to help my parents create cash flow for retirement? They'll be renting in three years and are looking for new ways to put their savings and equity to use. They've invested passively in other people's deals, but are looking to be a little more active on the next round. They've got around $50,000 from their HELOC to invest. I was thinking of us going in together on a short-term rental with us both putting 50% and taking 50% of the profit. But I know that financing and operations can be more difficult with partners, especially family. They won't really do anything themselves, so it would really be me bringing them along. So I'm looking for something that would be advantageous for us both. All right. Well, first off, Nick, kudos to you for wanting to take care of your folks. I like where your heart's at. I also like that you're noticing that a partnership can be tricky. And so in wisdom, you're reaching out for advice. Let's start there. The first thing I would say is though your heart's in the right place to want to help your parents, your head is not in a point where it really can. It sounds like you're learning real estate investing at the same time that you're trying to help them prepare for retirement. 
And all they have is $50,000 to help them do this. And it's not even 50,000. It's 50,000 attached to debt because it's coming through a HELOC. Your parents are not in a point where they can actually make significant steps towards retirement because they need to improve their financial education as well. Now, if you're looking to help them, they may not be into real estate like you are. And you might find yourself doing all the work and all the risk. And if it goes bad, they're going to blame you. So here's my advice. Before you help someone next to you, you got to help yourself. Just like the flight attendants tell you on the plane, before you put the oxygen mask on your kid's mouth, you need to put it on yourself. My advice is that you should buy a short-term rental yourself and manage it and work out a lot of the kinks. You should house hack something for yourself and manage it and work out a lot of the kinks. You need to go make some of the mistakes that every single newbie makes just when you're learning to ride a bike, you're going to fall over a couple times and you're going to scrape your elbow and scrape your knee before you get your parents' capital involved in this deal. They're probably only only going to give you one shot and if you blow it, they're going to resent you and it's also going to hurt their opportunity to retire. So before you say, hey, let's all jump in and do this together when they're also inexperienced, my advice is you go do some of this yourself. Now, maybe they co-signed for you on a house hack if you weren't able to buy. Maybe you let them buy into that opportunity so they get some of the equity by giving you some of the money for the down payment. But as a newer investor, I'd want to see you do some low risk but high work opportunities. I mean, renting out the rooms on a big house that you house hack, or like you mentioned, a short-term rental in a market that does get a lot of people vacationing there where you're having to run the operation, but you're learning a lot. Once you've got some experience and a proven track record, then you can talk about trying to help out your parents or using their money in the deal. Hope that helps. Next questions from Patrick Manari in Northeast Ohio. David. I've been preparing to get into real estate investing for the last two years, and I'm finally ready to get off the bench and into the game. I'm beginning my career with wholesaling so that I can put together reserves, capital to help me with my long-term goal of buy and hold rentals. My question pertains to direct mail marketing. I have an understanding of the process, and I'm prepared to do very targeted marketing while tracking it to make adjustments as needed. My problem is how do I find good targeted lists of motivated sellers for example, bankruptcies, divorce, pre-foreclosures, etc. I'd prefer to be able to compile these lists as frugally as possible as my startup marketing budget is pretty limited. It's worth noting I do have my overhead factored into my wholesale costs, and a big part of that is boosting the marketing budget as deals come through. I predicted numbers conservatively and look to come out of each wholesale deal with a 23% profit margin, assuming a very low assignment fee. I love the BP community and really enjoy the overhaul to the podcast format. Thank you very much. Patrick. Okay. Full disclosure. I've never put together a list. I've never marketed that way. I've never done direct mail. So I'm not the best person to answer this question. If I was in your shoes, the first thing I would do is I would Google direct mail companies and I would get a baseline understanding of what they charge and what these lists are made of. The next thing I would do is go into the forums at Bigger Pockets and ask this very same question because many of the people that have experience with direct mail and putting lists together are doing their stuff through BP and talking about it there. The last thing that I would do is I would look for a company that offers you a form of a CRS and a list all in one place. So I know there are companies that help people do what you're trying to do. They find the list, they give you access to the list, and then they even help you with sending out the cards. If you can find a one-stop shop like that, you're more likely to have success moving forward because you won't have to wonder about what are what's the thing that's gonna pop up that I didn't see coming. Now, all that being said, if you're working on a small budget and you're trying to make a business out of this, my advice is don't just start mailing lists. Everyone else is doing the same thing. 
they're getting tons of these things already. This is not a new strategy. The people who are going into foreclosure, who have received notice of default, is getting letter after letter after letter from other people that are doing the same thing. What people aren't doing is the word of mouth campaign. If you can get a hold of people directly who are in these situations and make a relationship with them, you're not just one letter that has been sent trying to get a phone call back. You're a human being that they remember that made an impact on them where they are more likely to work with you. So my advice would be you take the relationship angle. You start telling people everywhere you go, you're looking to buy houses that you can close in cash, that you can do a quick close, that you want to buy ugly homes. You get the word out there that that's the case. You start talking to real estate agents who may come across deals that they don't want to list. And if they can get a commission just by bringing it right to you, they'll do so. But look at the personal road before the direct mail road if budgeting is a problem. The thing I don't like about the direct mail road for a brand new person who's trying to build a wholesaling business is you're competing with the big dogs that have huge budgets and can spend a lot more money than you can to get the same result. I don't want to see you put yourself at a position of disadvantage as a new person. So work the relationship angle where you do have the advantage. Last piece of advice to you, since I know that I'm not the best person to answer a direct mail question, although I'm very grateful that you did send it in so we can make it part of the Seeing Green podcast. Check out Anson Young. He wrote the book for Bigger Pockets, Finding and Funding Great Deals. And he talks about finding off-market opportunities. He does a lot of business in the Denver, Colorado area, which is the mecca for Bigger Pockets, where it all got started. Check out episode 480 of this podcast, where we interview Dan Bro, who is a successful wholesaler who is doing a lot of exactly what you're talking about. Isn't it awesome that Bigger Pockets has episodes about almost every single question that gets asked, and you have a resource you can go right to that will give you specific help on what you're dealing with. Side note, we are trying to do more of that at Bigger Pockets where we are bringing in specialists to talk about specific topics of real estate. I'm talking about a multifamily specialist, a short-term rental specialist, an organization specialist, title specialist, entity creation specialist, and wholesaling specialist. If you like that, let me know in the comments that you prefer that style or if you like the tried and true method of I just want to hear a story from somebody let me know that as well. Hi, David. First, I'd like to start off by saying thank you so much for hosting this wonderful podcast. I love it so much. I religiously listen to Bigger Pockets, and it's pretty much the only podcast that I can bring myself to listen to. So thank you so much for all your hard work and all of your team's hard work. It's so, so appreciated. Um, but yeah, my situation is that last year I bought my first rental property here in New York City, and it was a huge accomplishment for me because I saved up pretty much my entire life, little by little, till I finally had $50,000. And then I took all the $50,000 and put it towards a down payment because at the time I didn't have like a mentor or anyone to really help me with strategizing this investment or future investments. So in my head, I thought, all right, well, the more I put down towards my down payment, the less my mortgage payments will be and the less debt I'll have. Sounds great. But now I come to realize that maybe it would have been beneficial for me to take out like an FHA loan or something like that, where I could put less money down, um, still get a pretty good interest rate and potentially buy a second investment property a lot quicker. So the predicament I'm in is that now I really want to buy a second property down the line sooner rather than later, but I've pretty much left myself with zero dollars in the bank account. So my question to you 
is whether you think I should continue working my W-2 job and save up little by little, which may take a while. It took me a really long time the first time around, but it's doable. And that way I can save up for a 20% down payment on a second investment. Or if you know of any alternatives for a non-first-time home buyer uh, in terms of getting another mortgage with a lower down payment, um, whether that's an LLC, I've heard a little bit about that. I'm not too well versed, but that is why I'm bringing the question to you. Um, hoping you have any advice for me. Thank you. Hey, thank you for that, Paula. Good news is I do have several pieces of very practical advice I can give you, and I think they'll help a lot. Let's see if I can remember everything you said here. The first thing I want to address is you mentioned first time home buyer program or deal. This is a bit of a misnomer in our industry. There are very few actual loan programs for first-time homebuyers. That was a big thing, and that phrase, first-time homebuyer program, came around when we had the housing crash, where, where lenders were trying to come up with ways to help people who had never bought a house before, and the government was subsidizing some of those loans. It's not called a first-time homebuyer program. It's a primary residence loan that you're referring to. When you get a primary residence loan, meaning you're going to live in the house, you get the low down payment options that are much less than 20%. You can get 3.5% down on an FHA loan, 5 to 10% down or anywhere in between on a conventional program. And there's other programs where it's if you're going to live in the house, you can get less of a down payment. That's what you need to look for. Now, you can contact us or another mortgage broker and say, hey, I'd like to know about primary residence loans, and they'll tell you about the low down payment programs that they offer. But the good news is, no, you don't have to save up 20%. You can get in for much less than that. Now, small multifamily tends to have higher down payments even in the primary residence world than single family homes. So you want to talk to a mortgage broker about your options and then maybe give us another video and say, hey, how can I decide if I should buy a triplex or if I should buy a big house that has a lot of rooms? Maybe we run the numbers together and see which one works better. Another thing I want to address is you made the same mistake I made a bunch of times and I was new and most newbies make is they assume that they are more safe if they put a big down payment on a property. I did this so many times thinking I'm safer if I put a lot of money down. It's just not true. What it does is it makes you more scared because you have less money in the bank in case your mortgage doesn't get paid or in case something breaks. And when the next opportunity comes, you have less money to put into buying that deal. So you buy less real estate and ultimately you become a worse investor because you don't get as much experience. So you don't have to put down the maximum amount you possibly can on a house. In many cases, you're better to put down less. And if there's money left over, improve the property, make the property worth more, keep it in reserves, do something with it, put it into another other property. Use it to build an ADU on the property. Make the property worth more rather than just putting a lot of money down on the loan. It sounds like you've already realized that though, so good for you. Another thing I want to highly encourage you, you said it, you scrimped and you saved to get to the $50,000 at your job. And you're saying, should I just go through that again? Well, the answer is yes, but let's do it with a twist. My assumption is that you now have more confidence because you've gone through this process of buying a home. You are now a homeowner and you should be very proud of yourself, especially considering how hard and how long it takes to save $50,000 in today's economy. You also have skills that you didn't have before, which is probably why you should have more confidence. Use that new confidence and these new skills to go to your boss and say, you'd like a raise or you'd like a promotion. You'd like a new opportunity. If there is no opportunity there for you, start looking at different jobs that you could make more money. Take the new skills you have and find a way to make more money so you can save faster. Now do that in combination with saving up money to get your next home with a lower down payment. 
move out of the one that you bought first, make it a rental, buy another one that will work as a house hack that could be turned into several different units, and now you've got another rental property. You can fight this battle on several fronts, saving more money, making more money, and investing it more wisely. And when you get all three working together, your wealth building starts to skyrocket and be supercharged. Thank you very much for submitting the question. Please submit another one and let us know an update on how it's been going and what more we can do to help. All right, everyone, thanks again for taking the time to send me questions. We could not make this show if you weren't doing that, so I'm very grateful. We had a great response from our audience, and I encourage you to ask more questions in the future so we can do more of these shows. I love doing this, and for what I'm hearing, you guys love hearing it. Submit your questions at biggerpockets.com slash David, and know that I look forward to hearing from you, as does everybody at Bigger Pockets, because we would not have a podcast if not for you. If you like this episode, be sure to like and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on anywhere, I'm David Green 24 Also, if you found this video on YouTube, and that's how you're watching it, check out our podcast. You can get it on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Spotify, everywhere there's podcasts. The Bigger Pockets Real Estate absolutely kicks butt. We have more episodes other than this scene green style, so you can check out some of the guests, the interviews that we do with very interesting and successful guests, and let me know what you think there. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for your attention. I know there's a lot of people you could be listening to, and I really appreciate that it's me that we're taking this journey on together. I will see you on the next one. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.